Um, today, though, let me start out like this. Let me ask you a question. How many of you um, really enjoy reality TV shows? Anyone? Like, reality TV is like your thing. It's okay, I'm not going to make fun of you, I promise. Like, because I, I used to like them. Like, like, I remember when Survivor first came out. Remember that? Like, when Survivor, like, that was like the first real reality show. I thought it'd be cool to be on that show, because the first year you won, like, I think, like a million dollars, and back then, well, a million dollars is still a million dollars, right? But, but it was like, that was like the first, like, show that you could win, like, a million dollars on, and so I was, like, super into that. I thought that would be really cool. Now, reality shows have evolved over the years, and they've become basically crazy, which is why you don't want to raise your hand and admit in church that you watch them, right? Because there's the Amazing Race and Big Brother, but then you got like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and like Love Island and stuff like that, right? And you're like, ah, I don't want to talk about that. The reason I'm talking about that is because I was talking with a group of people a while back and we were talking about reality shows and somebody said their favorite show, and at the time I hadn't heard of it, um, but they said their favorite show was Naked and Afraid. How many of you have ever seen that show? Some of you are like, I don't even know what that's about. Basically, you get naked, and then you're afraid. For, for some of you, that's a normal Saturday night. But basically, no, that's, what, that's what Naked and Afraid is. It's a show where you literally strip down butt naked. It's a man and a woman, like total strangers. And, and they like put you in a helicopter, and they take you out naked and drop you off in the middle of nowhere naked, and you survive in the wilderness for like 21 days. And so somebody asked me, they said, hey, Ryan, would you ever be on that show? I'm like, heck no. And they're like, why wouldn't you want to do it? The, like the potential of winning a lot of money on Naked and Afraid is huge. I said, because the show is called Naked and Afraid. If I get naked, everyone's going to be afraid, all right? Like that's just it. And so they started talking about, like, would you do it for X amount of money? I'm like, no, 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 no. Because I don't want to be naked and afraid because that would require some uncomfortable vulnerability. Yes or no? So that caused me to think about church culture, church world, and religion. Because I believe one of the biggest struggles that we have is there are some people, maybe, maybe even here today, dealing with some stuff. And when I say stuff... I don't just say stuff. I'm talking serious stuff. And, and it's not stuff that necessarily has happened in our past. It's stuff that's happening right now. And the problem is we feel like we can't be vulnerable. We feel like we can't talk about it. And the reason that we can't talk about it is because if we actually brought it up, we wouldn't be brought in. We wouldn't be accepted. We'd be kicked out. We'd be cast aside. We'd be thought of as weird. And so we try to cover it up. Because let's be honest, we all know how to cover stuff up, right? Like, like physical imperfections. We, we've learned from a, from a really early age how to cover that stuff up, right? We wear certain stuff. We do makeup or Botox or plastic surgery or whatever. We, we do that to hide the imperfections that make us feel very insecure. Yes or no? Yeah. We do it on a spiritual level too. The, the way we hide our spiritual imperfections is we kind of we lie about it, right? How you doing? Fine. You know what fine means? Frustrated, insecure, negative, and evasive. Right? That, that's, what, that's really what fine means. But what we hide how we're, how we're feeling. We spiritually hide what's going on inside of us. It's one of those things we feel like if I'm, if I'm really honest with what I'm going through, I'll get kicked out, whether it's kicked out of church or kicked out of my friend's group or kicked out of school or kicked out of whatever. If I really, really, really talk about what's going on, and I'm not going to be accepted. And listen to me. I believe we made it impossible in the church 
in the church, spiritually, spiritually, to be naked. Because if we're naked, we're afraid. In this series, we've been, we've been talking about being rescued by Jesus, and, and we've used Colossians 1 as our launching point every week. And so let's look at that again real quick. It says this, starting in verse 13, for he has rescued us, right? God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. And that's a good thing, right? He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who is who? Jesus, right, who has purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Those are gigantic, huge verses. These are, these are verses that you should write down, that you should look at over and over and over and over again to remind us of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, for every single one of us. In week number three, we talked about guilt. Um, this week, we're not going to talk about guilt. We're going to talk about a thing called shame. Many of us, when we talk about being rescued, need to be rescued from the shame that we allow to dominate our lives. And we've got to remove shame so the Savior can be seen in us. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Aren't guilt and shame the same? I'm going to say no. I'm going to argue that guilt is, guilt is, is saying, I I did something bad. You know, like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, spring break, whatever. I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. Big difference. You, you following that? I did something bad is an event. I am bad. That's a feeling that dominates many people in this room. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Clearly made a mistake. I'm not going to deny it. I screwed up. I made a mistake. Shame says I am a mistake. There are people you think you're a mistake. Maybe somebody told you that. Maybe you were told that by mom or dad. You're a mistake. We didn't plan you. We, didn't, we don't even know why you're here. I know why you're here. The creator of the universe determined before time even began that you were going to be here. And he has a plan for you. So I don't know what your parents told you or your grandparents told you about you being a mistake. But listen to me. You are not a mistake. You were designed on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, by the most high God. The person that told you that you're a mistake, they're wrong. They made a mistake. That's a good place to say amen. You just missed it. Don't feel any shame. It's all right. Um, guilt says, I didn't do enough. I, I, didn't, I didn't do enough. Shame says, I am not enough. And, and you can put a lot of things here. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not blank enough. That's what shame tells us. And because we deal with shame so much and we cover it up so well, 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 that's probably why we're the most in-debt, overweight, medicated, and addicted society that has ever lived in the history of the world. And it's because so many people try to compensate for shame. I'm, I'm talking about the way that we feel right now. And we say we can't talk about it because, again, if we talk about it, we get cast out. We get put down. There's no way in the church we can be vulnerable because if we're vulnerable, we, we, just, get, we, we, just, get, we just get shunned. But that's not the heart of Jesus. So I want to talk today about a story in the Gospel of John. You, you probably know it well. Um, we've, we've used this story to preach on many times over the years. And the reason I love this story is because well, John, didn't, John didn't just read this story on Twitter or he didn't see it on Facebook or he didn't hear it from a friend who heard it from another friend who heard it from somebody else. Like he, he was actually there. John was there, and he saw this happen 
right in front of him. And it's an absolutely fascinating story. It's John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Now, so far, this is, this is normal, right? This is, this, this is 100% normal. And all of us like normal, right? I mean, this, this is a normal church service, and we like normal church services. Jesus would go, and he would sit down at the temple. People would gather around him, and he would start teaching. So, Normal Sunday. All of us are used to normal. All of us like normal, yes or no? Yes, some of you aren't answering, playing along. I'll prove it to you, you like it. For example, how many of you right here, right now, be honest, you're in church, and I know the answer to this, right, so you can't lie about it. How many of you are sitting pretty much in the same seat, same vicinity that you sit in every week? Raise your hand. Yeah, <laughs> I do it too, I do. People will be like, I'll, I'll go up to someone and say, hey man, I miss you at church. How'd you know I wasn't there? Well, third row, fourth seat in, man, every week. Like, you, you just weren't there. That's the only seats I can see. That's why no one sits right there, because that's the only place the lights go. Anyway, <laughs> I do the same thing, right? We, we like normal. You know how I know you really, really, really love normal? Let somebody borrow your car, and they bring it back, and they don't put the seat in the right position. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> I ain't calling anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, though, in church, in America, church is a perfect place full of perfect people with perfect lives who have perfect ideas. And if you don't fall into all four categories, if you don't check all four boxes, you don't belong because to us, that's normal. That's what we call normal. And I believe that's why so many people are starting to walk away from the church is because they're like, I don't have a perfect life. I, 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 don't, I don't have that. I'm not a perfect person. I don't have perfect ideas. I'm not, I'm not really sure, and so I, I can't fit in there. And so what's going on in this story, though, so far, is everything is normal. Everything is fine. Everybody's in the same places. Everybody's car seat was exactly where it needed to be when they rolled into it. Everything was great. And then the church service gets busted up, and it gets busted up bad in verse 3. Watch this. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act. You ever been caught in the act of something? Like, not adultery, but you, you know what I mean? Ever been caught in the act of hand in the cookie jar type thing? That's, that's what's going on here. Caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, most scholars and theologians believe this woman would have been completely naked. Brought into the church service thrown in front of Jesus. Like that, that would bust a church service up real quick, right? Naked person gets drug in church. I mean, things are out of control at this point. This is not normal. This right here is a serious issue. This is what we would call shaming, correct? Like, I, I'm not really sure what you do in a situation like this. I'm sure people were freaking out, and I'm sure people wanted to bring down shame on that individual. Probably the closest I've ever been to getting disrupted in a church service. Um, like I've shared this story several times um, before, but one time when I was a youth pastor, I had a kid come to a lock-in with a shirt on that said, my little princess, or your little princess is my little whore. And everyone at the lock-in, all the adult leaders wanted me to make him take off that shirt. Trust me, I, I, wanted, I wanted to also, all right? Let me, let me preface it by that. I wanted that kid, I wanted to rip it off him and shove it down his throat. Because, um, you know, like, Chloe's like four years old at the time, and she's like everything. And so I, I'm just like, I'm angry. And so I got one of our youth ministry t-shirts, and I started walking across the parking lot to give it to him. But something kept telling me, leave him alone, leave him alone, leave him alone. Don't give him that t-shirt. Don't you dare give him that t-shirt. And, and so I, I didn't. 
um, I, I left them alone, and people got mad at me. Some of the volunteers left, I mean, we, and we were absolutely short-staffed. Hundreds of kids um, out of lock-in, and people just left. Well, it came part time for the preaching part of the lock-in. We had bands, and we had a magic show, and then I got up and I preached a gospel message. Well, this kid sat in the front row, the front row with the lights just shining down on him and he sat all sprawled out like all cocky and just like I I seriously wanted to just walk off stage rip the shirt off of him as a sermon illustration and and just like use him as that and like just completely shame him and and I had to just like I had to keep walking to only this side of the stage and and trying to ignore him but but I just kept like every time I would just glance over like that's the only thing that I saw and stuff was just welling up inside of me and there was so much rage and just just this idea of just bringing down the house on this kid anyway I gave the invitation and he's the first one to come forward um Fast forward, very long story short, um, we had a bonfire outside where counselors were meeting with the kids that gave their lives to Jesus. And I walked out there, um, and this kid had taken his shirt off, and he had thrown it into the fire. He came up to me, and he said, Pastor Ryan, do you have one of those youth ministry t-shirts that I could have? I'm like, dude, you can have the whole box. Like, you can have every one of them. I was so thankful that I didn't let my uncomfortability with who he was cause me to throw him out or publicly shame him. And, And by the way, just a side note. When will the Christian church stop getting angry at people who don't know Jesus for living like they don't know Jesus? I mean, that doesn't make sense at all, does it? I mean, if anybody should understand that, it should be all of us, correct? Anyway, here you got a situation where they want this, this, this public shaming to happen. It's, it's clearly taking place, like they're shaming this woman. If anyone's ever naked and afraid, it's her. But, but as crazy as it is to believe This was the beginning of her healing process. Because listen to me, don't miss this. In order for healing to take place, when it comes to shame, you need two things. You need vulnerability and you need empathy. That's what you need, vulnerability and empathy. Somebody who's willing to be vulnerable and somebody on the other side to say, hey, me too. Me too, I understand. I get it. You know what's really sad? I have learned this not by working in a church, but by going to a rehab facility to teach. And and by watching people in there, watching people sit in a room and say, "This this is who I am, this is what I'm wrestling with, and somebody else saying, hey, me too. Listen to me, the healing that takes place in there is absolutely unbelievable. Because when you sit in a room and you say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. This is where I'm broken. This is where my life is falling apart. This is the stuff that's going on in my life. And somebody goes, stop it. Well, well, that's great. (laughs) Honestly, like, I'm cured. Like, that doesn't work, right? But if you're sitting in a room and saying, this is what I'm wrestling with, and somebody has the courage and a vulnerability to say, I get it. I'm right there with you. Let's, Let's figure this thing out together. That's where healing can take place. And that's what we see in this story. And hopefully, long term, that's what we're going to see happen in this church. Listen, if you're a perfect person with a perfect life, you should leave this church today and never come back. Because we will screw you up. I promise we will. Teacher, they said to Jesus. This, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses 
says to stone her. What do you say? See, anytime religious people try to shame, they always have a verse. You ever notice that? You ever, you ever notice that? By the way, anytime somebody uses a Bible verse to tear you down rather than build you up, stay away from that person. Run. They, they had a verse, though, right? And, 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 and people still do this today. I'll prove it to you. I remember... I remember when I got my first tattoo. How many of you in here have a tattoo somewhere? I don't want to know where, but you have, have one. All right, lots of people. Good tatted up church. Awesome. Um, I've got two. I've got one on, one on each arm. Um, now, I know some of you might be thinking, don't have them. Oh, my gosh, tattoos. Uh, you shouldn't have tattoos. The Bible says you shouldn't have tattoos. How many of you who have a tattoo caught hell when you got a tattoo and somebody came at you crazy sideways with a Bible verse? Right? All right, Listen. The Bible does say something about tattoos. In the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 19, verse 28, says, do not cut your bodies for the dead and do not mark your skin with, what's that word say? Tattoos. And it says, then it says, I am the Lord. So this is a statement from who? From the Lord, right? But listen, don't miss this. The book of Leviticus was written to a tribe in Israel called Levi, one of, one of the 12 tribes. So you gotta keep that in mind. The other thing you've gotta keep in mind is people got tattoos as a mark of pagan worship. I don't think anybody in here with a tattoo necessarily was worshiping a false god. I think you just thought, oh, cool, a butterfly, and, and you got the tattoo. Right, listen, I'm not judging butterflies if that's your tattoo, all right? I'm just saying the Bible does say that, but it's a different context. By the way, um, if you want to go strictly Leviticus, we can go there because the Bible right before says do not trim off the hair of your temple or trim your beards. And so for those of you men that are unbearded, you're on the hell express, enjoy the ride. <laughs> it goes on later on in Leviticus 19, it says you should not wear clothes made of two different types of cloth. So, so for those of you that are enjoying a nice cotton poly blend this morning, you're on the hell express too, baby. I, I mean, listen, when the goal is to tear down rather than build up, we have a problem, yes or no? Yes. And so they brought this woman in front of Jesus to tear her down and ultimately to tear Jesus down as well. But Jesus wasn't having it. I love this, verse six. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Because if he said, stone her, then all the people were like, oh, well, you just, you just believe like them. If he says, don't kill her, they're like, well, you don't believe the Bible. And, and so there, there's really no way that he can win but he does win, because watch what he does. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, one of the things that's important for us to see here is, is the very first thing that Jesus does. The Bible says he stooped down. So, so he's down on the ground. He, he takes a, a posture of humility. He doesn't stand over her. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't just like lord over her. He stoops down. He takes his finger and he writes in the dust. Now, I was reading some John MacArthur sermon notes um, this week, and, and this is what he says right here. He says, what's important about this is it took place in the temple area. The dust isn't necessarily what is important. What was under the dust is that was marble. It was stone. So he was putting his finger on the stone. Now, what, what is so powerful about this is there's, an other, and there's another instance of finger to stone taking place in the scriptures. It's found in Exodus 31, verse 18. The Bible says this, when the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. Everybody knows what this is, right? This is the 10 what? 
the Ten Commandments. And look what it says. Written by the what? The finger of God. So here you've got Jesus in this position of humility, finger to stone, saying, I am God. But he's not focused, don't miss this, he's not focused on condemnation because the lady was naked and afraid. He's not focused on condemnation. Jesus empathized with her. Because see, when, when he was crucified, he too was naked and afraid. Now, some of you might push back here and be like, oh, Jesus was never afraid. Re- really? Well, then why in Matthew 26 did he pull his friends aside and say, hey, guys, pray with me because my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And then go on to, to pray and say, Father, please take this cup away from me. Why, why would you pray, through, pray that if you didn't want to go through that? See, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he could identify with this woman because the Bible says he identifies with all of us. And so guess what? No matter what your shame is today, he can identify with you too. Because at the end of the day, his heart is not condemnation, but restoration. Jesus does not want to stand over you and point out what a horrible person you are. Jesus wants to restore you. He wants you to, to, to restore you to the person that God has called and created you to be. And one of the ways he does that is by rescuing us from the shame that's in the center of our lives. Now, I love this because they kept demanding an answer because shame is persistent. It, it, it really is. Shame will keep coming after you over and over and over and over again. Verse seven, they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up. No, notice when he addresses the religious crowd, he stands up, and he says, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Notice the exclamation point right there. He, he doesn't just say this. He shouts this. See, Jesus is really quick to defend those that the religious people are trying to shame out of, out of existence. He shouts right here. Then, verse 8, then he stooped down and again wrote in the dust. This, this story reminds me um, that shame will cause us to run from things that we're actually called to. A long time ago, Chloe, my daughter, she was, I don't know, two or three years old. And um, <laughs> there was a pond by our house that, that we used to go to and we, we would feed the ducks. I know you're not supposed to feed bread to the ducks anymore or whatever, but we fed them bread because I always thought it'd be cool if you could see them explode or whatever would happen to them. Anyway, I don't really know what would happen to them, but... We fed them bread. Um, one day, we were there, and, 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 and some geese were there. And we had apparently walked too close to the goose nest. Have you ever been chased by an angry goose? And, and it, yes. Like, <laughs> stuff just got real, didn't it? Geese are demon-possessed. Are they not? Like, seriously, those little things are mean. Like, they, they, they run up, and they hiss, or whatever the heck they're doing. I don't know. So we're throwing bread at the ducks, and we're happy, and all of a sudden this goose comes running after us, and it's hissing at me. And as it got closer, (laughs) I panicked. (laughs) I didn't know what to do in the moment. And so I picked up Chloe, because that's what you're supposed to do, right? Protect the girl, right? And I picked up Chloe, and I turned, (laughs) and I ran. And I'm running from this stupid goose that is chasing, I'm not making this up, I'm running away, and it finally hit me. <laughs> I'm running from a freaking goose. Like, that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> and so I turned around. I did. I turned around, and I looked at it. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I will kick you. Like, and, and, I, and I would have, too. Like, <laughs> it was just 
is crazy. And the goose kept coming, and I let the goose win. That's the, that's the end of the story. But um, I was thinking about this the other day. Jira and I were in Indiana last week, and, uh, and I drove past that pond, and it, and it caused me seriously to think about this message, that you know what? Some of us are running from things that we actually have power over. We're running from things that we have power over. Listen to me. Jesus has rescued us, and in Christ, we have power over guilt, and we have power over shame because he has rescued us from those things. And what's going on inside of you is not greater than the God who reigns, the one who sent his one and only son to pay for our sin, the one who rescued us. And so today, if you're in shame, that's not God's will for us. Listen, for us to say, I, I, can't, I, I can't allow people to really know who I am. I gotta hide, I gotta be fake. If, if people would really know me, they wouldn't love me. That's not life. Like we, we say all the time, to be fully loved is to be fully known. And you say, Ryan, if people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. But Jesus does know us. He knows everything about us, and he loves us anyway. And he rescues us from the kingdom of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. I love the fact that when it came to the religious leaders, he, he stood up, but then he stooped back down and he wrote in the dust again verse 9 when the accusers heard this they slipped away one by one there's a lot of meaning i don't have time to go into this morning in that awesome slipped away one by one beginning with the oldest until only jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman and then jesus stood up again said to the woman where are your accusers didn't even one of them condemn you no lord she said and jesus said neither do i go and sin no more Go and sin no more. Back to the the naked and afraid illustration. The the conversation we were having, people were legit throwing out numbers. Would you do it for this much? Would you do it for this much? And finally somebody looked at me and said, Ryan, would you do it for $10 million? I was like, heck yeah. $10 million, I'm in. $10 million, I'm naked. I ain't afraid with $10 million. I'm not. I can buy new friends or whatever. Like I buy more. Like said some, then somebody said, "Well, you got to pay taxes on that." All right, man. If it's forty-eight percent, I still got five point two million. Right? I mean, who who cares? That's a lot. I would do it because ten million dollars. Like I could get past my insecurities for ten million dollars because that's a real high price to get paid. Would you agree? Yes or no? Yes. Well, Jesus paid a much higher price for us, and He paid too high of a price for us to live our lives in the shadows, ashamed of who we are. Shame shame is not God's will for our lives. Shame is not God's will for our lives. Vulnerability and transparency are. That's That's why I love it. He says to the woman, he's like, is there nobody left to accuse you? In verse 11, she says, no, Lord. She got that right. No, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Watch this. He says, go and sin no more. Now, a lot of people think that when Jesus said that, he's, he's got his finger pointing in her, his, her face, and he's sneering, go and sin no more. But that's not the Jesus that we see in the scriptures. I think, I think Jesus said this with compassion, with love, and probably a little bit of a smile on his face. It's not like he thought she would never sin again, but what he's basically saying to her is, you know what? You don't have to live this way anymore. And he restored her to God, and he restored her to a community that she was in front of who they were expecting condemnation, and he gives her restoration. 
And the same thing Jesus did for this woman, he wants to do for every one of us. Listen, th this is, this church is not for perfect people who have their lives together. Th this, is, this is not a place full of perfect people with perfect lives, including me. It, that, that's the truth. But I fully believe that in this place, if you walk in these doors broken, you can walk out understanding that you can step into a process of healing just like this lady did. Every single week we do an invitation song and th this week is no different. Um, today though, I want you to listen as, as Claudia sings. I don't, I don't want you to necessarily sing along or stand up or anything like that. I want you to listen. I want you to listen to the words in the song. And I'm not going to read them to you because I don't, I, I want you to see them. I want you to read them and I, I, want, you to, I want you to feel the weight of this. And if any time during the song you feel like you need prayer, we'll have people up here who would love to, to pray with you, would love to talk with you, would love to listen to you. And if you don't want to do it here, just take them out of here. Take them, take them outside. Go into one of the classrooms upstairs and, and, and talk in there. Um, what you need to know is that they're not perfect and they're not pretending to be. And they've probably dealt with the same thing you're dealing with right now. You, you need to understand that what you're going through what's happening in your life, what you're struggling with, that, that sin issue or that shame or that guilt or whatever it is, you are not alone. You are 100% not alone. L listen to me. The power of shame is broken when we're willing to be vulnerable and say, I'm not in the good place. I need some help. The power of sin is broken. We say, I'm not in the good place. I need some help. Jesus, rescue me. If that's you, I want today to be the beginning of that process because Jesus rescues us even from our shame. Claudia.
Hallelujah, shame. 